0: If you got your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, and then Psalm 71 and 1 Chronicles 29 are the verses we're going to be looking at today. Acts 4, uh, Psalm 71, and then uh, 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 29. As you're flipping that direction, uh, we're going to start today with this question. Have you ever tried to replicate something amazing before? You ever tried to replicate something amazing before? For some of you, that was when you don't know how or, or what way, but you made the cake perfectly that one time, right? You made the recipe just right. It fit just perfectly that one time. Wherever you're at, uh, again, you, uh, when something happens, it's good. I, if you're like me, I like to figure out a way to make it happen again and again and again because uh, I don't like mediocrity, right? You want to make sure you're doing something the right way. The first time I can kind of remember having an experience like this happened uh, when I went to baseball camp. And so um, I played uh, little league baseball and then baseball into my, uh, uh, my sophomore and junior years of high school. Uh, but the team I played for uh, was a really, really good team. In fact, the uh, really, I guess you could actually say the coach. The coach that I played for was a really, really good coach. His name was Bobby Magel. Uh, and at one time, Coach Magel was the winningest high school baseball coach uh, in the entire country. Uh, just a great baseball coach. In Texas, back in those days, 5A was the highest level of, uh, of state athletics. And uh, uh, Coach Magel won the state championship for 5A Texas at Lubbock Monterey High School in the 60s, in the 70s. 70s twice in the 80s and in the 90s, four different decades. He uh, led teams to state championships. He was really an amazing coach. And he did it not through love and affection, but through incredible intimidation. He was one of the scariest human beings uh, that you'll ever meet. Some of our old Monterey baseball players watch the watch the live feed and they'll know. I mean, again, he was a scary, scary man. He would intimidate you even if you were 10 or 11 years old. He led through great intimidation, very much kind of a military style. And um, I'll never forget, I go to baseball camp, was playing Little League at that point, probably 11, 12 years old, went to Coach Magel's baseball camp, and uh, he noticed in my swing that I wasn't tightening up the swing, and so what he would do, he was known for this, he would come and stand so close to you to try to intimidate you, or he'd have one of his coaches do so. Well, this particular day, he was trying to get me to bring my swing, and I was swinging kind of wide like this, and he wanted me to tighten up my swing so I could swing a little bit faster, get good bat speed, pull it to left field. Well, sure enough, Coach Coach Magel comes up and stands basically right on the other side of the batter's box while the pitch is coming in, and the goal is, if I swing wide, I'm going to hit the old man with my bat. And so, again, uh, it's just kind of that scary little moment. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm waiting. Coach Magel's there, and he's like, come on, son, swing. And I'm like, ah! And sure enough, I hit it. And with the tight swing, it goes deep into left field without even swinging too terribly hard. The angle sends it right there in the corner to left field. And he looks over at me afterwards and he goes, you should keep doing that. And then he turns and walks off. Again, that was just kind of the coach that he was. Well, sure enough... I go in, and two days later, I've got a baseball game, an actual game that I'm playing in after experiencing victory uh, at the baseball camp. And so I get up to bat with my new tight swing, right? And uh, back then, I was a pretty easy out, uh, but after coming from baseball camp, they're throwing me straight fastballs the whole way through, and man, with that tight swing, all of a sudden, my first at bat, I knock one over the fence, out of the park, home run, right there in that moment. And they're still looking at me like, man, I guess even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and again, the next two at-bats, they don't throw me any curveballs or any switch up, change up pitches, and so because of that, I hit two more that hit up against the fence after swinging. I'm telling you, after going through that moment, I had figured out a way to replicate and to duplicate. Now, I wish I could tell you that I was in the pros right now, uh, but I am not. They started throwing me curveballs, and that was a whole different thing to try to figure out, all right? All that to say, have you ever tried to replicate something amazing? Once you figure it out, it becomes this pathway to experiencing something special. Now, it's one thing when it's Little League or baking a cake. It's another thing when it's your walk with Almighty God. We're going to talk through a term today that's the term shaken, and shaken in scripture means just like an earthquake, that a place where God was moving, the place is physically, emotionally, and spiritually different after a movement of almighty God has taken place. Honestly, that's the prayer after every worship service, that this place, or before every worship service, that this, would, this place would be shaken, that your lives would be shaken, that you would be different, filled with boldness and spiritual passion to live for Jesus Christ. Now we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to look at the last verse first in the study that we're going to go through. Flip over if you will Acts 4 and we're going to start in verse 31 and then we're going to backtrack and figure out how they got to this point because we want to duplicate it as best as possible. Here's what it says verse 31. Now, just so you know, this is specifically when Peter and John have just been taken to prison for healing the man who was born crippled. And then, do you remember, they're brought in front of the Sanhedrin, the religious and political leaders. And in front of the leaders, they question them. Peter stands up and speaks with the power of the Holy Spirit. He and John stand tall right there next to the man who's been healed, the standing miracle right there next to them. And then they get released, but you gotta remember this. They probably thought that Peter and John were going to be killed just like Jesus had been killed. So look at what happens here. Verse 31, they gather together for a prayer meeting, and it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was what? It was shaken, underlined shaken there. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They spoke the word of God boldly. Now stop right there for just a minute. Again, that's the goal of every church meeting that we would ever have, that the spirit would move in such a powerful way that you would be shaken, that your lives would be different, that our church would be different, that society would be different because of what God has been doing. But just for the record, sometimes it's just a church service. So what makes the difference? What is it that changes an interaction, a prayer meeting, from being something that fills us with boldness, that fills us with the Holy Spirit, that shakes us to our core so that we're forever different from just a normal everyday week? Well, we get a breakdown of how that works starting in verse 23. By the way, if you're taking notes, write this down. Earth-shaking, Spirit-filled boldness is always worth seeking. Let me say that again. Earth-shaking, Spirit-filled boldness is always worth seeking. We desire for our our God to lead us to a point where we would be shaken. It begs our big million dollar question today. How does the Lord bring about a spiritual awakening? How does he shake us to our core? How does he make us different and make the world around us different? Let's go step by step through this process, starting in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, addressing the question, how does the Lord bring about a spiritual awakening? Verse 23, it says, and on their release, this is right after that moment that they've had uh, with the Sanhedrin, right after, uh, that, uh, right after, again, they've been bullied, uh, they've spent the night in jail, the people don't realize, remember the last time the people saw them, they literally were being pulled off the stage while they were preaching I mean everybody wants to know the story and they don't expect to see Peter and John alive at this point here's what it says now Peter and John went back to their own people underline their own people and reported all that the chief priests elders and the elders had said to them underline that word reported because that word is also very important if you're taking notes how does the Lord bring about a great spiritual awakening number one through shared testimony The way that we move down the process of being shaken, coming to that point where the Lord shakes us to our core and changes everything around us spiritually, starts with the reporting of what God has done in your life and in listening to what God has done into someone else's life as well. There is incredible power in story. When someone shares a story with you, what happens is that the Holy Spirit is then empowered to speak to you on so many different levels. Think about it this way. When someone shares a story, I I have the gift of storytelling, I think, all right? okay. uh, Now here's the deal. When someone tells you a story, and it's about their life and it's real, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit has the opportunity to touch your mind and to touch your heart, and speak to you in ways that you never thought possible would come out of that story. For example, when a story is told, it inspires hope. If you're going through something that someone else has gone through and been victorious on the other side, if God has brought them through something, hearing that story inspires hope. For some of you, going through a time of difficulty, a simple story can inspire great wisdom or provide encouragement Or maybe levity if you're taking yourself just a little too seriously. And then sometimes that story reminds you that God is in charge and He is worthy of the glory and praise because of what He's done for someone else that He could possibly even do for you at the same time. It's a powerful thing when we share our stories of what God has done in and for our lives. I'll give you a silly example of this. So, our daughter Harper, um, Harper is six. And Harper, we noticed had a little crush on one of the boys at her school, okay? Um, And God has given a really cool gift for some of you parents that have to make that long commute. It's a great gift, and I mean, it's a curse because traffic is awful, but the drive, the drive is a gift because the only time in their lives you have your kids as a captive audience for that entire stretch where you can ask them questions. Do your best again, take off the headphones, you know, turn off the music, and start asking some questions. So with Harper, I always will ask questions. So sure enough, we're in the car, we're driving back from school, we got about 30 minutes together and I'm in the car and I just go, hey, I noticed you and such and such. Do you have a crush on such and such? And all of a sudden, Harper stops, she closes her eyes and then she just screams, no! No! I mean, she turned into the girl for what's that movie, The Ring? I mean, she kind of turned into that movie, The Ring Girl, for like, no! I mean, it was just like, whoa. She just said, no. Well, then, we're in silence after that, and it's like, well, I just ruined this time, right? Should not have asked my six-year-old that question. She screams no, and then, after a few minutes, Harper, in the sweetest voice imaginable, goes, Daddy, when did you first have a crush on Mommy? That's what she asked. That's is that the cutest question ever, right? Daddy, when did you first have a crush on Mommy? And so I realized at that point, I have an opportunity. She invited me into her world to hear my story, to hear her mom and my story. And so I told her this. Um, Autumn and I met um, at a conference When uh, it was October, I graduated in December from Oklahoma State. She was at Texas Tech University working at First Baptist Church in Lubbock. And um, we had driven to a conference in the Dallas area that my dad and John Strappazon had put together. And I was sitting in a specific session uh, with, uh, if you've ever heard of Shane and Shane before, Shane and Shane's a a band, sat with Shane Bernard and Shane Bernard was there and uh, he was the one teaching this particular session. And I'm sitting in there learning about worship. And then all of a sudden I see this head peek in the room and it was autumn. Well, she had heard, she and my dad uh, worked together in the same office, she had heard that I had come down and brought a group from Oklahoma State and she just wanted to see me. And so uh, she'll tell you it was to size me up because I was coming in to, I was moving back to Lubbock after I graduated and she wanted to see who I was. And so anyway, that was the first deal. We make eye contact, but it was super awkward. I mean, just picture somebody like peeking their head in to a classroom and then leaving. And so after that, um, I had a meeting set up with John Strapazon, and in the meeting was. straight. Strap, Autumn's working at the front desk. Now, this college ministry was 1,600 college kids on Thursday night, but it was between 1,000 and 1,200 college kids on Sunday mornings, and Autumn, Autumn was the one female intern at that time for the entire ministry. Uh, she just is an absolute rock star and was from the very beginning. And so she's sitting at the desk, and I'll never forget, I walk in to meet with Strap, She's behind the desk, and you will keep in mind this is 2004. Okay, 2004. I'm 21 years old. She's 20. Okay, and uh, walk through the door, 2004. And when she's sitting there, she's sitting there behind the desk, and uh, I walk up, and I was just like, I was so nervous, my stomach like filled with the butterflies because she was so pretty and just, just again so godly, and I just was like, <sighs> so I walk up and I go, hey pound it. That's seriously, what I said, okay, this is not like pounded." somewhat cool now. Okay. I mean, this was, this was Oh four. All right. Hey pound it. And she's chewing gum and she was grinning and she just, she, she, she did the little pound it. I mean, that was, that was it, right? That was the moment. That was the crush. Right. And from there forward, um, the Lord had something in store that was just absolutely amazing. Now, listen, I'm sharing this story with you. And for some of you, the shared story, the shared testimony has inspired hope, because you desire, seeing that Autumn and I have been married, it'll be 16 years in January, that it started with a fist bump in the church office, that the Lord could do that. For some of you hearing that story inspires hope for you, that maybe just maybe one of those interactions will turn into a forever relationship for you. For some of you, it inspires encouragement because you are trying to do things the right way. Even though the world screams at you to cast aside the way that you live your life according to scripture, Maybe that story inspires encouragement. Maybe it inspires wisdom. Maybe it inspires levity. And then maybe, those of you who are here today would say, it causes me to give glory to God. That a fist bump in the office was the way that the Lord chose to start. Autumn and I, raising kids, falling in love, moving here to D.C. to start the church together so that we could be sitting in this room or watching online, and y'all could hear this crazy little story. When you tell the story, listen to me, the Holy Spirit then takes it and then works in someone's mind and works in someone's heart so that then it can have unlimited reach that Almighty God is in control of. If you're taking notes, write this down. When God enables the miraculous redeems the broken, or empowers the weak, he means for the story to be told. Let me say that again. When God enables the miraculous, redeems the broken, or empowers the weak, he means for the story to be told. Now the key here is not just a story, but a true story. When you talk about the real things that God has done in and through your life, there is a power that goes out from you because the Holy Spirit is then able to use it. Now just for the record, it also works works the other way if you're in a circumstance where you desperately need to hear from God where you desperately need that hope that wisdom that insight find someone in your life who is godly and then ask them to tell you their story you watch it the same way the spirit of God speaks to others when you share your testimony all of a sudden God will speak to your heart through the Holy Spirit when you ask for others to share their story David says, or excuse me, the psalmist in Psalm 71 says it this way. Save your spot in Acts and flip over to Psalm 71. Powerful example of how story works. Look at what happens in Psalm 71, verses 15 and 16. The psalmist here writes, my mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long. Look at this. Though I know not its measure. Circle, highlight, and underline. Though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Stop there for just a minute. He says here, the psalmist says, I will proclaim your righteousness, God. I'll speak of the things you've done. And then he says, though I know not its measure. The picture there is, I don't know what the outcome's going to be. I don't know why I was supposed to share this story, but in the hands of Almighty God, he can take it to places to someone's heart that it never could have gone on its own. Though I know not the outcome, I share the story. In this city, we are so guarded over our story, and the enemy's got us right where he wants us because there is power when you speak of what God has done in your life and in the lives of those around you. There's power when you listen to the way someone has been led by the Holy Spirit to where they are today. For the, moment, for the room to be shaken, there had to be testimonies of what God had done. If you're taking notes, write this down. Is it time you discussed your faith journey with someone? Is it time you discussed your faith journey with someone? For some of you, for the first time in a long time, and then for some of you, I'm telling you, it's become a dance because you've told it so many times. There are many in our church who have navigated Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous. And can I tell you what we always hear? We gotta tell the story of when we left for the first time. We have to keep telling because the hope is that if someone walks to that door for the first time just like we did years before, maybe just maybe they could find the same strength. It's true for our faith as well. You gotta tell the stories of what God saved you from when he brought you through and delivered you in the midst of the darkness because when we do that, it inspires courage in those around us. Now let's flip back to Acts chapter four. Look at Acts four and let's start in verse 24. They start off by reporting what's happened. They give their testimony. Verse 24, it says, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Underline, they raised their voices together in prayer. This is not Peter and John leading at this point. This is the Holy Spirit leading the whole group. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea. Underline, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea. And everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant. David. Underline your servant David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers together against the Lord and against the anointed, his anointed one. Indeed Herod, underline Herod, and Pontius Pilate, underline Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. Underline your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Underline that whole verse 28. That is an illustration and a true definition of God's sovereignty. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Stop right there for just a minute. After sharing the testimony, what erupts from the crowd is a prayer from all—a prayer to Almighty God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and they start walking through history. They look back at what God has done leading up to this point, and they go, oh, sovereign Lord, when you created the heavens and the earth and everything that in them ah sovereign lord you were there with king david when he spoke through the power of the spirit on your behalf lord you were there when herod persecuted you were there when pontius pilate persecuted you were there when they strung up our lord and savior on the cross and he breathed his last breath you were there when he rose from the dead and then all of a sudden they come up to the present and go you will surely be there with us today as well lord nothing catches you off guard They did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. If you're taking notes, write this down. How does the Lord bring about a spiritual awakening? Number one is through shared testimonies and number two is through acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. Acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. Sovereignty means over all, in all, through all, that God is all-powerful and all-consuming, that his power is truly limitless. Now, some of you would say, well, didn't we acknowledge that in some way by walking through the doors of the church today? Yes, but you see, God's power is limitless, but our brains, to try to wrap our minds around a limitless, almighty creator, our brains come to a point where we create these boxes for God to live in in our minds, and here's what has to happen— Over time, the Lord doesn't want to live in your box that you've created. So something will happen in your life where he tries to blow your mind, where he tries to bust the box so that he can show you that he is bigger than the finite constraints that you put upon him. Now some of you would say, so is it wrong to put God in a box? It is, but it's something every one of us do because once we experience God in a new and powerful way, that box just gets absolutely obliterated. What happens with a spiritual awakening is they not only share their testimonies, but when they call out to God, the experience that they've had reshapes everything that's happened in their life up until that point because they begin to see the fingerprints of God in everything that surrounds them. If you're taking notes, write this down. God can do whatever, whenever, however He wants. Pray with this in mind. God can do whatever, whenever, and however He wants. Pray with this in mind. This was illustrated for me, by the way, back when I was in college. I grew up uh, in Lubbock, Texas, moved off to Oklahoma State in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and uh, there is a Bible study that happened one particular day that has always haunted me because it was a picture of where my heart was, and maybe for some of you it'll fit you today as well. I was in a Bible study. And um, it was the first time that I had not had somebody. My mom used to be like a woodpecker on my shoulder telling me to get up for church in the morning. You know what I mean? Some of you had that experience. Like a woodpecker on my shoulder, wake up, wake up. It's time for church, time for church. And then all of a sudden, I moved six and a half hours away from home, and I didn't have that woodpecker on my shoulder anymore. 17, 18 years old. I'm working at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster, all right, from the time I was a freshman. And uh, there's your weekly mention of Red Lobster, all right. And all of a sudden, I didn't have the woodpecker on my shoulder trying to wake me up on Sunday. I got to choose whether or not I could go to church or whether whether I wanted to go to church. And then uh, Red Lobster did what all restaurants do. Nobody wants to work that Sunday morning shift. And if you don't actively fight to not work on Sundays, they will absolutely schedule you. It's just the way that it goes. So all of a sudden, I decided I was giving up my Sunday morning stuff in, uh, in exchange for an evening Bible study that I was going to go to. And I'll never forget, I go into this Bible study, and my mindset at this point is not good. I'm deeply prideful. I think that I'm inventing new ways, right, uh, to, uh, to do faith when the truth is I was living for myself and not living for the Lord. And I end up in a Bible study with our pastor at University Heights Baptist Church in Stillwater, a guy named Tom Westbrook. Tom was teaching on discipleship and he was trying to show us that the Lord was so powerful that God could create amazing things, but there are some things that he has chosen to fashion in our lives. He's a craftsman. Some things he just creates into us, but other things God allows it to be crafted into our lives over time. It's at that point he looks at me and says, Zach, what do you think about this? And I'm being dead serious. My response to him was, I go, well, I think I'm more of the created greatness. He said, excuse me? I said, you know, I go, there's just things that I just know, you know, about scripture. There's some things that I just know about God that other people just don't know, and I feel like God just made me awesome. And I'm, I'm telling you, that prideful. My dad was a pastor. We watched the Lord speak through him. My dad, again, got to be a part of some great spiritual revolution, Live for Christ every day. My mom, incredibly godly, two very, very godly men that were my grandfathers. Great family that I got to grow up in. Great churches I was discipled in. And here I am at 17, 18 years old going, well, I guess I'm just this way. I guess I'm just awesome because God decided that I was going to be awesome. He looks at me and he goes, you really believe that? He goes, you've had so many people pour into you. So many people that God placed at just the right time on your path. He said, you really believe that you just rose up from the ground great and connected to Almighty God? I'm here to tell you very sadly today. I did not walk away from that day changed and shaken, but I have remembered that Bible study now. It's more than 20 years that have passed. I can remember that Bible study so vividly. Now listen to me. In your own life, God's sovereignty sometimes is what he's, cra- what he's created you to be from the time you were in your mother's womb. But there is a whole nother level in God's sovereignty where he allowed you in imperfection to be crafted and shaped into the image of his son through the people in your path, through the experiences that you've gone through. God is over all, and his fingerprints are in every aspect of your life. There is no wasted motion when it comes to Almighty God. They say in the passage, again in verse 28, these are things that he ordained from the beginning to take place, he decided beforehand. Save your spot there in Acts 4, and now flip to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles chapter 29. This is the old man, David, Man after God's own heart. And in 1 Chronicles 29, we get David's last public prayer, last recorded public prayer that he prays. Look at this, 1 Chronicles 29. You get to see this incredible humility. He's not called the man after God's own heart for nothing. This is a guy who had seen the Lord stand up for him in battle. He'd seen the Lord stand up for him in times of policy. He'd seen the Lord stand up for him when he was the youngest son in his family and the least likely to be selected as the king of Israel. Here's what old man David has to say in verses 11, and 12 in his final public prayer. He says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and under the earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Underline all there. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Underline all things in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to what? To all. Notice that yours and all are the world. Words that are repeated in this passage over and over again. In his final public prayer, David's looking back on his life and going, man, Lord, I thought that you were big when I got to we, the young man in the in the field watching the sheep, when I was just slinging that slingshot at stuff that would come our way. Man, and I watched you do amazing things back then. I watched you slay a giant. I watched you use me to help build a nation. I watched you use me to build a family. I watched you use me to give glory to you on so many different levels and What do I say looking back? Man, God, you are sovereign. You are over all, in all, through all. Everything is at your disposal and there is no limit to your power. How does the Lord bring about a spiritual awakening? We tell the stories of what God has done and allow the spirit to use them as he does. But then you also have to come to a point where you say, God, blow up the box. Show me another aspect of how big you are and the work that you are capable of. The old timers used to sing it this way. Breathe on me. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Take thou my heart, cleanse every part. And Holy Spirit, breathe on me. The idea there is God, don't pass me by. Speak to me. Change me. Shake me. When we pray that prayer, a powerful thing takes place. He begs the question, when is the last time you extended the limits of God's power in your mind. When is the last time you extended the limits of God's power in your mind? Just for the record, there are some of you that would say, You're saying that God's power is limited. Let me say it again for like the fifth time God's power knows no limits. But our minds are trying to wrap themselves around the concept and understand it. We should regularly be letting God bust those boundaries. And then let's flip back to Acts 4, and we're almost done today. Acts chapter 4, and now let's read verses 29 through 31. Here's what it says next. As they're praying, it says verse 29, Now, Lord, Underline and highlight, now, Lord. Remember the lead into this? It starts off by saying, God, when you created all things, Lord, when David did this, Lord, when Pontius Pilate and Herod did these things, when Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, they've led up to this point, and now all of a sudden, there's a shift from looking back at what God has done to looking forward to what he will do. Verse 29, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Underline to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Stop right there for just a minute. All of a sudden, as they have heard the testimony of what God has done for them, as they've looked back at what God has done in the past and acknowledged his sovereignty, they and then with that mindset look to the future and it causes the room to be shaken. They go, Lord, we're going to have problems with this group moving forward. They threatened us when they told us what was going to happen from the days moving forward. Lord, enable us with boldness to step forward for whatever it is that's on the horizon. And just like our brother who was healed at the gate called Beautiful, there are so many others around us. We can see your work taking place around us with others that are in need of healing, that are in need of help. Lord, open our eyes to see them. Fill our our hands with your power so that we can heal them the same way this man was healed. What starts with a testimony evolves into an understanding of God's sovereignty where the box is broken and then it changes your perspective on the future. If you're taking notes, how does the Lord bring about a spiritual awakening, shared testimonies, acknowledgement of his sovereignty, and number three, through supernatural intervention? And you could actually call this one future supernatural intervention. You look to the future realizing that God's got it. That as long as there's still time on the clock, that the Lord will take care of the future. You know why it's difficult for us to be shaken right now? Because there are many of you in this room who are scared to stinking death all the time right now. God can do it. When we hear the testimonies of what he's done in the past, it fills us with great faith. When we remember how sovereign he is and we let him blow up the box, when we realize his power is truly unlimited, we can see his fingerprints all around us and then we look to the future and go, man, he's got something on the horizon because if he was going to end this thing, he probably would have ended it already. Now listen to me. We live in such a weird world right now There are some of you in this room, or maybe even people connected to you, that have been spewing prophetic word that this is the end, that everything's falling apart. Can I just tell you, Scripture says when that happens, the Lord's getting us out of here, all right? So guess what that means? That means that there is still good on the horizon, that God still has something in store for our future. You ever been around somebody who almost seems like they're rooting for the destruction of the world, of our country, of our church. And I'm telling you, they go, look, I believe in the whole Jesus thing. I get it. But we are bound for the toilet bowl, all right? Somebody has clicked flush, and we are on the way down. You talk with that person, and then you go, so do you believe that there's any hope? And they go, ha oh, I really wish there was, brother, but I just don't know if there is. By the way, Autumn and I have a rule. If anybody ever calls me brother, it usually means they will stab me in the back at one point or another, all right? Bro's different, okay, bro's different, okay, but brother usually means they'll stab you in the back at one point or another. Now listen, now listen. There are some things that we very, very much need to be mindful of. But our hope begins with Jesus. It's why we gave you these wristbands. Our hope resides with him. And in the end, he is making all things new. We have to trust him. When we think of what God's brought us through in the past, hear those stories. It inspires us to break the box and embrace his sovereignty. And then we look to the future realizing God's still at work. And we watch expectantly for what it is that he's going to do next. If you're taking notes, write this down. An awakened spirit realizes that God has chosen us as his hands and voice and watches expectantly for a chance to deploy. Let me say that again. An awakened spirit realizes that God has chosen us as his hands and voice and watches expectantly for a chance to deploy. There's a monument at our church that many of you don't know about. And that monument is over at the preschool space. It is the air intake vent at the preschool space. Okay? Can I tell you why that's a spiritual monument? It's a monument because Capitol Hill Tower has some crazy rules. All right? It's a co op, it's the only co op in this area. I guess you've also got Velocity over here, but one of the only co ops in this area. And the co-op board, great people, the co-op board are the ones who kind of enact the rules. And so we signed a lease on that space when it was a dry cleaners, but it wasn't really a dry cleaners. It was a warehouse where clothes were taken in and then they weren't dry cleaned on site, they were dry cleaned somewhere else. So because of that, it was zoned to be a warehouse. So here's the problem. We wanna put kids in there and you gotta have fresh air apparently for children and you don't have to have fresh air for old clothes, all right? so because of that we signed the lease for 10 years with a five-year option on that spot we start the construction on it and then all of a sudden somebody comes up uh, on the building crew and says we got a problem with the air intake valve or with the air intake uh, vent and i said okay what does that mean they said um, we can't do it i said why not They said, because Capitol Hill Tower has a rule that the outside of the building cannot be touched in any way, shape, or form by the commercial properties down below. I said, okay. I said, but it's building code that there has to be fresh air in the space. What we're told, you can't touch the space. So at that point, I go to our architect, and the architect goes, "Yep, it's pretty ironclad. There's no vent that we can put into this space because we can't cut into the outside." I then go to our builder. Builder goes, "Yep, nothing you can do. Uh, you can't do this." And I go, "We've signed a lease." I go to our landlord, and the landlord goes, "Yep, you signed the lease. You're going to have to figure this out." And uh, by the way, rents due on the first. Make sure you pay it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm scared to death. If there's one class they should make church planters take is they should have one class in urban real estate. You know what I mean? Because I'm telling you, it is a pretty steep learning curve trying to figure this out. Did all these seminary classes had no clue how to do real estate. Okay. No, no clue how to do urban real estate development. So I'm telling you, I'm looking at it going, I've shackled the church with this lease. I had no idea this was going to be a problem. Surely a solution would have shown up. And I'm telling you, I'm freaking out. And for 14 days, I spent time in prayer going, Lord, show me what to do. Lord, provide for me. And just like this moment of being shaken. You look back and you hear stories of what God has done. You look back and you remember his sovereignty through the past. And with an eye on the future, I went, God's going to provide something. i got to figure this out. The project was stalled for 14 days until we could figure out where the air intake valve was supposed to go. Well, sure enough, one of the co-op board members, the board members, who was not necessarily very friendly to our church, was out in front one day. Walking his dog. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, just have a conversation. And I'll be honest with you, I had never had any hatred in my heart towards this man, but I remember thinking, Lord, what's that gonna help? How are we supposed to get this air intake valve? How is that gonna help? But I felt the Spirit say very powerfully, just go talk to him. So I walk up and I just go, hey man, how are you doing? He goes, I'm doing all right. And then all of a sudden he goes, did you ever figure out that whole air intake thing? I said, no. I said, we're still praying about that, trying to figure out what to do. At that point, he goes, well, I got a loophole for you. I said, what? He goes, you can't touch the outside of our building structure. He goes, but you probably could remove a window if you wanted to. He said, we don't consider the windows a part of the building. Anyway, hope you're doing well. And he's little dog walk off and I'm like, whoa. Again, mind blown, right? The box is obliterated. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. We could do that. I call our builder. Builder goes, that sounds like a great idea. Call our architect. Huh, that's amazing. I don't know why we didn't think of that. I'm sitting there going, I'm weeping on the floor, right? I feel like I've shackled the church with this problem, and the Lord provided the solution. Are you looking at the world through the perspective of, Lord, it's too big, it's too hard. I've asked people, reliable sources, and they've told me there's no hope for the future. The toilet bowl's been flushed. Everything's falling apart. When the truth is, God's power is limitless. His control is over all, in all, through all. And in the end, I'm one of the only people in the world that walks past that air intake valve and screams hallelujah every time, right? You see God's fingerprints all over everything. His sovereignty paves the way for a proper outlook on the future. It begs the question, are you watching the world with glorious, expect, or with glorious expectation of what God will do? Are you watching the world with glorious expectation of what God will do? Or are you watching the world feeling like the demise is upon us? If that's you, by the way, it's really hard to be your friend right now. It doesn't mean that you got to look with rose-colored glasses at everything. But you should watch the world with hope-filled hearts that Jesus is the one who is making all things new. Is that a good word, Doc? Otherwise, you're gonna make yourself crazy and you're gonna die alone. It's the way it goes. At the end, it says that where they were meeting was shaken, it was different. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then listen to me. The byproduct of a movement of God is that you speak of him with boldness, that you don't keep it to yourself. I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. Don't tune out. Most important part of the service these next few moments. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. Nothing mystical or magical about this time. But there is something powerful about considering the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? When you talked about shared testimonies, the Holy Spirit puts someone on my heart and in my mind that I need to reach out to. Maybe someone that you share your story with or maybe someone that you listen to their story of spiritual wisdom so the Spirit can speak to you. With nobody looking around but just me, if you're here and you'd say, pray for me, Zach. Pray that I'd have the courage to exchange spiritual journey stories with someone. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you, y'all. Can put your hands down. Thank you. Now I'm going to pray for you. But if that was you, before the day ends, I want to encourage you. Just pray this simple prayer, God. Before the sun goes down, help me to make plans to meet with that person. God, before the sun goes down, let me make prayer or let me make plans to meet with that person. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? It's time God blew up the box in my mind. Now remember, the box is our finite mind's way of trying to wrap our heads around an infinite almighty God. But God cannot be limited. With nobody looking around but just me, if you're here and you say, Zach, would you pray for me? Would you pray I'd let God blow up that box in my mind so that I could experience him in a new, bigger way? With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, if you just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you, so many of you. Y'all can put your hands down. That's a powerful thing to ask for. When God blows up the box, by the way, I always tell people, test everything against Scripture. That's the side of the box that will always exist. God is limitless,
1: but you test everything
0: against Scripture, and you will see Him clearly like never before. I'm going to pray for you. But just pray that simple prayer. God, show me today just how limitless you are. God, show me today just how limitless you are. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? If I'm really being honest, I'm the one who's been a bit gloom and doom. And I don't want to be that guy or that lady anymore. I want to be someone who looks to the future knowing God's in charge, he's on his throne, that he is good and he is up to good things. With nobody looking around but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, I don't want to isolate you, but if that's you and you'd say, I'm confessing today and I'm ready to look to the future with hope. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Hey, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down, several of you. That takes guts. I'm going to pray for you, but just pray this simple prayer. Lord, you hold the future. Lord, you hold the future. Remind me that you're in charge and that I'm not. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you so much for the time that we've had to worship you and to study your word. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ today for those who need to have a conversation about their spiritual journey or to listen to someone else's spiritual journey, I pray that like a splinter in their mind, you would continue to impress upon them that that's something they need to do and that before the sun goes down today, they would reach out to someone to have that conversation. I pray that you would already be preparing hearts and minds so that they could hear from you in a powerful way, whatever it is that they're needing, that your spirit would speak to that time of story. Lord, I also pray that for those whose minds that you are currently blowing today, Lord, that you would change hearts, that you would break those boxes, and Lord, that you would allow us to experience you powerfully, to see again one more extent to your limitless power. And Lord, for those who are here who need to trust you with the future, I pray that they would not just be words, but that in their hearts they would release control of their life to you, they would know with you leading it will be good thank you god for who you are speak in power in these final moments in jesus name that we can pray